Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you to present the 2021 Orioles Awards. Brendan, what a show we have today. Live from the red carpet. Consider this the red carpet show because everyone's filing into their seats and we have quite a presentation for you today. This is our Ryan Seacrest moment. This is it. This is the epitome of all podcasts. This is what you go into journalism for. Right. Is to be Ryan Seacrest. Is to make up fake awards that nobody actually gets. And I was going to write an opening monologue, and uh, I went through several drafts and decided to scrap it because it wasn't funny. So uh, I think every viewer (laughs) is glad that you decided to scrap it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Are you going to keep this voice the whole time? Probably. Uh, I might change it up depending on the kind of celebrity that I'm impersonating later. We'll see. Yeah, sure. Um, Before we get into the awards, and we do have an exciting awards show with several exciting surprise guests, uh, we should talk about some Orioles news. The season is over, Brendan. The 2021 Baltimore Orioles season has come to a conclusion, and while there was not much excitement at the end in the final game when you talk about the Orioles maybe possibly kicking the Blue Jays out of a playoff spot. That didn't happen. They ended up losing to the Blue Jays, and it didn't even matter because the Blue Jays did not make the playoffs, did not make that wild card game. However, on the other side of the country, something very exciting happened that did impact the Baltimore Orioles, Brendan. Yeah, the Arizona Diamondbacks walk it off in the bottom of the ninth, securing their spot, if the CBA remains the same, Mm -hmm. with the draft picks. Securing their spot in the number two overall pick, which means, Paul, yes, if all things remain the same with the rules, the Baltimore Orioles are on the clock with the number one overall pick in the upcoming MLB draft. And oh my goodness, is that huge. Very exciting stuff because that is what you want when you have a season like the Orioles just did. At least you can say you have the number one overall pick. Objectively better than the second one. So the Diamondbacks and the Orioles uh, finished with the same record. And so in that case, the tiebreaker goes to last year's record. Well, guess what? They finished with the same record last year, but the Orioles had the worst record in 2019. So it just keeps going backwards and backwards. So that's why last year the Orioles had the fifth pick. Diamondbacks had the sixth pick. This year, Orioles have the one pick. Diamondbacks have the number two pick. Yeah, and it's a fun position to be in. I know no team wants to keep selecting number one overall year after year after year, but if you're going to select high in the draft, the number one overall pick is the place you want to be, and it's an exciting spot to be in going into the offseason as well because it sounds like this offseason might be one where the Orioles start to make some more competitive signings and try to win some more games in 2022 than they've won in previous years. So you combine that with the fact that they will also have the number one overall pick could make for a pretty exciting offseason leading up to the year. And it does come, of course, with the caveats that one, the CBA, the new collective bargaining agreement, uh, that 
is going to be renegotiated and will be decided upon on December 1st. And that could change the rules in terms of who gets the number one overall pick and whether there will be any kind of new machinations with the draft process. We don't know yet. We assume for right now that it's going to stay the same and that the worst record goes, the best pick goes to the team with the worst record and that there's no lottery system, which is certainly a possibility uh, that they could implement next year. Could be something that they add into the fold, but they say we're going to wait until 2023 because we already have the records. We'll see. So that that's a caveat. And then um, we don't know when the draft is. That's the other thing. Right. They haven't yeah. announced a date uh, for next year's draft. This past year it was in July, which was the latest it's ever been. I think a lot of teams and players liked that uh, when, when it was because it was after the College World Series ended and it gave players allotted time to decide when they were going to sign, if they were going to sign. They weren't distracted while they were playing in Omaha, that kind of thing. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But for right now, the Orioles have the number one pick, and it's an exciting place to be in. And I know, Brendan, you've had your eyes on a high school outfielder named Elijah Green, but could go to really anybody that the, the um, pick is not decided by any stretch it's a long way away i mean if you asked anybody at this time last year who the number one overall pick was going to be in the upcoming mlb draft it would have been a slam dunk that it was kumar rocker and we all know how that turned out so elijah green is the name that's getting floated around right now i think he is a fantastic prospect and he is probably worthy of the number one overall pick if he continues on his trajectory towards the 2022 MLB draft. Some other names to look at, uh, Brooks Lee, a switch hitting shortstop out of Cal Poly that could have been a top five pick a few years ago had he not gone to college. Jace Jung, the uh, younger brother of a former first round pick by the Texas Rangers, another Jung brother. He's a second baseman. He is a power hitter. Second baseman, I don't think has ever gone number one overall. So, Those are the three names if you want to be very early looking at your 2022 MLB draft. But again, very exciting that the Orioles have the number one overall pick. Would be exciting to get a a second baseman. I think they could really realistically take just about, or we're not going to talk about it now, but they could realistically take any position. Pitcher, they could go any position they could really uh, feel like. That's the benefit of having number one pick. You got to take the best player available at the best price. Yep. Um, So that's, that's an exciting place to be in. Uh, other news that we should get to, though, Brendan, uh, and that would be the news that came out yesterday. Uh, Rock Cabaco, along with other reporters, uh, reporting that the Orioles are making some changes to their coaching staff. Don Long will no longer be the hitting coach. They're replacing him in 2022, and assistant hitting coach Jose Hernandez will switch to a different role. That's probably due to the fact that whatever new hitting coach is going to come in is going to probably have the flexibility to hire his own assistant hitting coach. So they want to keep Jose Hernandez on the staff, but they can reassign him to another job. Uh, This was slightly surprising because we talked about there being changes. There are usually changes to coaching staffs, whether they are minor or major. Every offseason, almost every team around baseball makes some changes to their coaching staffs as the musical chairs go around. But we thought if there was going to be a change, it might come on the pitching side This is slightly surprising because the hitting wasn't the real issue with the 2021 Orioles. No, and you saw some really good hitting performances from 
the younger Orioles, which was kind of the important thing going into the season that everybody was looking at. Obviously, Cedric Mullins took huge leaps and bounds forward on the hitting side. Austin Hayes was a more consistent hitter than people thought he would be. And Ryan Mountcastle had a pretty good year at the dish as well. And those are pretty much the three young guys that you were looking at and hoping that they would develop hitting-wise, and they did. I suppose if you're the Orioles, you're probably looking at the other guys on the roster that are not at the same talent level as some of these former top prospects in the Orioles system and saying, okay, these guys didn't really hit this year. The top prospects, the former top prospects were hitting well and that was expected, but the other guys in the lineup were not really performing. So maybe that was what what led to this move. I think also a reason that we could say it was unexpected was this guy was hired at the same same offseason that Brandon Hyde was. So he was there. It's not like he was a replacement in 2020 or in 2021. He came in with Brandon Hyde. Uh, So maybe the expectation was that he was going to be with him for a while. It wasn't all good, like you said, on the hitting side. Uh, You know, they were 23rd in baseball in OPS this year. They were 26th in on-base percentage and 17th in homers. So they weren't fantastic by any stretch they weren't even above league average by any stretch but considering the talent in the lineup that's probably to be expected right uh but you did see some regressions i mean anthony santander i think you could say he was dealing with injuries of course but he regressed slightly uh, and then outside of the m's the mancini the Mountcastle, the mullins there just wasn't quite enough offensive production yeah really the only other hitter that i can think of that overperformed this year was probably Ramon Arias. But other than that, there were some other guys that just really didn't hit too well throughout the entire season. How much of that can you put on Don Long versus how much of that is just the talent level of the guys on the roster? You can be the judge of that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And another move that was made, not at the major league level, but at the minor league level, this one was slightly more expected, and that would be that Gary Kendall is out as the AAA Norfolk Tides manager and likely replacement, we haven't had it confirmed yet, but Buck Britton, the AA Bowie manager, is likely to move up another rung. So the Norfolk Tides did not have a great season, both record-wise and prospect-wise. Record-wise, they finished with a 52-78 and record. I think they were the only one of the four uh, affiliates in the Orioles system who had a full season, not including Florida Complex League, uh, that finished below 500. And then you look at what Buck Britton did at Bowie, 73 and 47, took him to the AA Northeast Championship Series for the second time in three years, for the second consecutive season, because they didn't have a season in 2020, took him to the Eastern League Championship Series back in 2019, took them to the Championship Series this year. Buck Britton's been doing outstanding things, and AAA Norfolk was a difficult spot for a lot of prospects. We saw guys like Dean Kramer, guys like Zach Lowther, even Kevin Smith, Kyle Bradish, Yusniel Diaz, Ryland Bannon, a lot of top prospects in this system mashed or did very well, pitched very well in AA. They got to AAA, and they took steps, steps backwards in 2021. Yeah, and there, it's expected that you will take a step back when you go from AA to AAA because the talent is better. It's a big jump from double A AA to triple A, but I think we would both say that the steps back we saw from a lot of these guys was bigger than it should have been. It was bigger than the talent gap between double A AA and triple A. 
And I will say, I, I think Buck Britton had a ton of talent to work with. You mentioned some of the top prospects that were in AAA. Buck Britton got to work with some of just the best prospects in baseball, period. And that really helped him record-wise. That's not to take anything away from Buck Britton, but just to say that Gary Kendall didn't have the most talented roster at AAA, but there were guys that we were expecting to take steps forward at that level that really didn't this year. And I think there's also something to be said for the fact that Buck Britton has coached a lot of these top prospects at double a for a while he had Abby Rutschman he had Grayson Rodriguez I think it's fair to say okay maybe you just want Buck Britton to move up with these guys to continue to develop with them because he's had so much experience coaching them at double a maybe it just makes sense to kind of keep the party together yeah and and Buck Britton will also be the first to say he's had incredible talent like you said, you know, he is he is humble and understands that it's not all he's doing. Right. The fact that they got 73 wins, it, it, it is also due to the fact that the Orioles had incredible talent coming up. But that while they did not have the same top level guys up at AAA to see the guys that they did have take steps back was disheartening, I think. And to see Yuzniel Diaz have the kind of struggles that he had this year was tough to see. To see Ryland Bannon, even though he had that hot stretch in September, hit below the Mendoza line. That was tough to see. And then to see guys like Kevin Smith and Kyle Bradish get to AAA, and while you, you, I agree with you, to see them have their struggles early on, uh, but then not really... A few guys finished the seasons on somewhat warm stretches, but to see almost every guy across the board take a step back in AAA, I don't know if there was a guy that really did it incredibly well at AAA. I mean, other than Ryan McKenna, who bounced back and forth between AAA and the big leagues, to see your top prospects go there is cause for concern, and it is cause for concern when you look ahead because you don't want to waste a year of development. If that if that is a legitimate issue, that guys are getting to AAA and they're not developing enough, then you're going to have your best prospects are going to be in AAA. Adley's already there. Grayson's going to be there next year. D.L. Hall could be there next year. So you don't want to waste a year of development with those guys. And if you don't think you have the right staff in place, then making a change now is better than waiting for these guys to struggle, waste a year of development before you make that change. Yeah, the fact that guys like Ryland Bannon and Yuzniel Diaz did not perform well at AAA this year really hurt the Orioles. It did. If you look at the infield situation for the entire year in Baltimore, I'm sure Mike Elias was probably expecting the 25-year-old Ryland Bannon to come up from AAA after having a few good seasons and be an impact player on the infield. Whether he was an above-average starter or not, he was at least going to be in the mix, and you can make the same argument for the outfield. Yuzniel Diaz should have been in the majors this year. He should have been ahead of Ryan McKenna in terms of his development, and it just wasn't there. And the Orioles were... I'm not, I'm not going to say they were able to weather the storm with those guys. Yuzniel Diaz and Ryland Bannon weren't going to make this team a whole lot better. But the Orioles cannot afford to have guys like Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez. I'm not saying they will, but they cannot afford to have them go to AAA and really struggle. Yeah. The Orioles need these guys to continue to develop. They could weather the storm if a Ryland Bannon or a Yuzniel Diaz doesn't work out. But if Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, some of these top guys go to AAA and kind of stall out there, as we've seen with a few prospects, 
that's not gonna that's not gonna work the Orioles cannot afford to have that happen and I'll take it a step further and this may be going too far let me know if it is but you could say that there were legitimate questions about guys who came up from AAA being prepared enough to succeed early on because almost everybody that we saw especially on the pitching side who made their debuts in 2021 were not 100% ready Zach Lowther Mike Bauman, Alexander Wells even. Now, those guys finished the seasons well. All three of those guys had a good final start or a good final appearance, and they seemed to be getting their feet under them. But to, when they first made their big league debuts this year, they didn't seem ready to go. And I that again, that's part of the probably part of that, a huge part of that is due to the fact that you're going from AAA to the big leagues. There's That is the biggest step you're ever going to make in your professional career. However, for all of those guys, similar to AAA, for all of those guys struggle, for all of them to struggle in Baltimore immediately, you could raise some legitimate questions. And reading between the lines, to me, that could be another big reason why they decide to make this change. Yeah, I think it's fair to raise those questions rather than draw conclusions. Right. Because it is, it's a very nuanced conversation in terms of, you know, the talent jumps are probably bigger from double A AA to triple A and then it gets bigger from triple A to the majors and it is hard to make major league caliber players it's hard to develop prospects but I think it is absolutely fair to at least raise the questions about what has been going on in triple A and why prospects seem to have gone from Bowie to Norfolk and kind of stalled out yeah correlation does not equal causation but the Orioles have now had three seasons of Gary Kendall, you know, 2020 being he was at the alternate site, not managing a club. So they have had a significant sample size of data to analyze this and, and try to determine what the problem here is. Yeah, and there wasn't really anybody at AAA this year that was banging the door down to go to the majors no. aside from Ryan McKenna, who had been back and forth for the entire year. So I won't even really count him no. in that conversation. I mean, Jemai Jones was pretty good but then he he his production fell off in the second half right but I think both of us expected Jemai Jones to be better at triple a than he was right so there really wasn't anybody that was so good at triple a that you had to call them up to the majors it seemed like a lot of prospects that were getting called up were guys out of necessity I mean you were calling up Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells not because their triple a nor Norfolk numbers were very good but because you just needed arms and and like you said it, it's not like a uh, using Diaz or Ryland Bannon would change the win-loss record of the Orioles but it would have given Brandon Hyde some much needed depth and we could have seen better more exciting performances from young guys had they been ready to make their debuts and they just weren't this right. year all right shall we get into the awards the fun stuff yeah let's do it we have several exciting guests here tonight to present our awards these are awards that we have concocted and uh i picked four finalists for every award some of these awards are silly some of them are legitimate so i have given the latitude to the presenter of deciding the winner of these awards however it was a collaborative process in terms of picking the finalists and in a lot of these cases i think you'll agree that the finalists were pretty clear-cut yeah and the winner in a lot of them is also incredibly obvious for some of the categories yeah some of them were tighter races we'll get into it brendan first and foremost i had one that i wanted to get into this is uh 
Best short-lived storyline. Our first award of the night. And we didn't pick a presenter for this because I thought this was a, a fun little one for us as the podcast hosts. Looking back on our year, there were a lot of trivial things that we discussed ad nauseum, at length, and we thought were going to be very serious issues or very serious discussions throughout the course of the season, and they just weren't, and they just fell flat. And here are our finalists for best short-lived storyline. Felix Hernandez's quest for 200 wins and 3,000 strikeouts. Rio Ruiz's gold glove caliber defense at second base. Ryan Mountcastle struggles in left field defensively. And is Tyler Wells better served as a starter? Wow. Some wonderful storylines here, Paul. I am so glad that we have curated these four wonderful finalists for this category. I mean, if you think about it, they were, you know, the question is not what is the shortest lived, but what is the best of these short lived? Yes. Before I announce the winner, what is your favorite? My favorite I don't even know if this is particularly close for my favorite. My favorite is Felix Hernandez and his quest for 200 wins and 3,000 strikeouts. I remember it like it was yesterday, Paul. We talked about Felix Hernandez on this very podcast. On this very podcast. And we went on and on about, is Felix Hernandez a Hall of Famer? What stats will he have to put up this season in the Baltimore Orioles rotation for him to make the Hall of Fame? Is he going to hit specific milestones that could bring him to this precipice of baseball? And yet, he didn't make the team. Well, the, we have the envelope here. It's just a paper I saw on the table. And uh, let me read the winner. It is Felix Hernandez's quest for 200 wins and 3,000 strikeouts. Pretty clear cut. I thought, uh, you know, Rio Ruiz was great at second base, and so I don't want to, like, pile on him for this giving, by giving him an award. Felix is not here to accept the award, um, but uh, I'm sure he appreciates it. I'm sure he is not listening and also doesn't appreciate it. Somewhere he is listening to this podcast, I promise you. Somewhere that. Felix Hernandez is punching the air right now <laughs> over getting this award. Uh, all right. Next up, and we are going to have a first guest presenter for this award. Brendan, this award is for the best off-season edition. And we have four finalists for this. First and foremost is Freddie Galvis, the only major league deal that they handed to a free agent this off-season. They signed him for $1.5 million back in January. He hit 249 with nine homers, had a war, according to baseball reference, of one, and was dealt to the Phillies. Jemai Jones. He was in a one-for-one one deal with the LA Angels. For I believe Alex I Scott. called it the best trade of the Michael Elias era you at did. the time that it happened. You did. Still early, so you know we're just looking. I'm at, still on that. We're not boat. judging the grade he, or the trade here. We are just determining whether he is the best offseason acquisition. Matt Harvey, who signed a minor league deal back on February 28th, he went six and 14 with an ERA of 6.27. And finally, Tyler Wells, who was a Rule 5 pick by the Orioles last December. 44 games, he had a 4-11 ERA and 10 strikeouts per nine. And with that, we bring in Rock Kabako to announce the winner. Thank you very much. Billy Crystal, what a host. Those song and dance numbers are the best. Our next category, best off-season edition for the Orioles, and the nominees are shortstop Freddie Galvis, pitcher Matt Harvey, Infielder Jemai Jones or reliever Tyler Wells. And the award goes to. These things are so hard to open. 
Renee Zellwinger. Okay, that can't be right. I have the wrong envelope. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is it. This is it right here. And the award goes to Rule 5 pick Tyler Wells, who became a high leverage reliever and the team's closer. Congratulations, Tyler. Tyler couldn't be here with us. I accept this award on his behalf. I know he's honored. Thank you. Got to give it to Rock. He gets the bit. No one he likes... Does. No one dives as hard into a bit as Rock does. Ooh, Kevin Brown might <laughs> beg to differ. Yeah, that's true. Uh, up until Kevin Brown sent in his award presentation, Rock had the winner for best award presentation. He did. So maybe... Is that going to be our own category? I think we'll add that to the very best end. Best award presentation? Yeah. Oh. I mean, that one was pretty darn good. It was. By Rock. Um, not as funny. Can you do a Billy Crystal? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Uh, not even going to attempt. The only Billy Crystal like that I can do is from the Princess Bride, but you haven't seen that movie. So I have. You're just really missing out there. Anyway, Tyler Wells was... Uh, <laughs> He's only half dead. Yeah. All right. Better ahead. than his 4.11 ERA indicated. He. It's also a fantastic offseason acquisition because you really expected nothing from Tyler Wells. The Orioles have not gotten much production out of past Rule 5 draft picks. And Tyler Wells seems to have pretty much cemented himself at the back end of the Orioles bullpen for high leverage situations. Yeah, good for him. I think that he was the, the runaway favorite here because obviously the offseason additions free agent-wise were very thin. Right. So we were hoping, the Orioles were hoping when they took Max Aroller and Tyler Wells that one of those guys would pan out, and it appears for now that 26-year-old Tyler Wells is uh, at least going to make the team next year, at least going to be a fixture in that bullpen for the short term. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely a successful Rule 5 draft. The only other one, Jemai Jones, I think he has potential for the next few years, but just didn't see enough this year to, right. to warrant best offseason addition. He could be the best addition of the offseason in a few years if he plays well and locks down second base. Could have the best career of, you know, all these guys. Yeah. Um, all right. Best surprise is our next award. Brendan, this goes to a player who came out of nowhere or came out of relative obscurity in order to dazzle the crowds of Baltimore and capture the imagination of young baseball fans across the country. Four finalists for this one, a recurring finalist, Tyler Wells. Considering he was the not just a Rule 5 draft pick, but the second Rule 5 draft pick by the Baltimore Orioles. He was taken in the second round, number 17 overall. Oftentimes, that guy is not going to be a good player and may not even be on your team for the entire season, but he came out of relative obscurity to make an impact. That he did. Cedric Mullins came into this season with a negative career baseball reference war in 115 games played, 225 career average before the 2021 season. Ramon Urias came into this season with 27 career plate appearances, all of them coming in 2020. And this year he hit 276 with seven homers and a 776 OPS. 774, excuse me, in 85 games. Pretty surprising. Pretty good. And finally, Cole Sulser, who had a 556 ERA in 19 games in 2020, was perhaps Brandon Hyde's most reliable bullpen piece from start to finish. So four guys that we were not expecting much from, and they all delivered surprise performances in 2021. That they did. And our own Melanie Newman is here to announce the winner for Best Surprise. 
What's up, guys? Melanie Newman, one of the broadcasters for the Baltimore Orioles and presenting for the best surprise season. There were a lot for the Orioles this year. It came down to Cedric Mullins, Tyler Wells, Cole Sulcer, and Ramon Urias. And congratulations, a huge one goes to Cedric Mullins this year after an absolutely outstanding performance. The first Oriole in history to reach the 30 for 30 mark. Could not be more elated to see the way that things have turned out for that surprise winner this year, Cedric Mullins. Thank you, Melanie, who may be the most hardworking, busiest person within the city limits of Baltimore. Uh, I don't know how she fulfills all the obligations that she does. It is utterly incredible. And for her to take time out of her day to shoot that video for us, uh, very grateful. Yeah, I think it's a lot of coffee would be my best <laughs> yeah, guess I think, for Melanie uh, she's, she's given us the secret, and it is yeah. just a ton of coffee. Uh, but a, a shocking winner there with Cedric Mullins, who people have said might have had the most surprising season by an Oriole ever. Yeah. Goes 30-30. Probably. Enters the year as a pretty good fourth outfielder as a defensive replacement in center field and ends it as a potential franchise cornerstone with the first 30-30 in Orioles history. And a guy who will garner some MVP votes. We'll see how how high he ends up getting. That last week of the season was tough for him statistically, but he's going to get some MVP votes, whether he's a finalist or not. That is to be determined, but easily the uh, best surprise there. Yeah, as he should. Obviously won't get a ton because Shohei Otani exists and Vlad Guerrero Jr. had an unbelievable season, but Cedric Mullins is right in that discussion for one of the better seasons individually in the American League. All right, next up, best prospect. And this, there's some categories that are not loaded. This is a loaded category, Brandon. That it is. Uh, It was honestly tough to decide who the four finalists were going to be, but the first two are very easy. Adley Rutschman hit 285 across AA and AAA with 23 homers and 899 OPS. And then Grayson Rodriguez, who had... uh, a 9-1 and one record, 2.36 ERA in 23 starts uh, between high A Aberdeen and double A Bowie. Then you got two guys that uh, had more surprising seasons. Kyle Stowers, second round pick, but I don't think anybody expected the kind of power that we saw from Stowers. Power, Powie Stowies? Stowie Powie. Stowie Powie, there's no. the nickname, if you watched our last podcast. Uh, also, if you're, if you're not watching this podcast, you are missing out because you are hearing the audio of these of rock and Melanie so far, but you're not getting the full picture, you know? So if there's one podcast you're going to watch, first off, watch our last podcast, (laughs) the last one (laughs) with uh, Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman and Kyle Stowers, but also then watch this one on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, And uh, Stowers hit 27 homers that led all Orioles minor leaguers uh, between high a double a and triple a three different levels. And then drew Rom who may have been the best starting pitcher outside of Grayson Rodriguez this year between high A and double A. Yeah, so we've got the three minor league award winners and then Drew Rahm, somebody who we thought might win co-pitcher of the year yep. along with Grayson Rodriguez. 11-1 and one record, 318 ERA. Awesome year from uh, Drew Rahm. All right, let's get to the guy who knows so very much about all four of these guys, a guy who saw all four of these guys play in front of him. They all made their way through double-A Bowie, and that's why we're throwing it to Bowie Bay Sox broadcaster Paul Fritchner. Paul Fritchner here, one of the play-by-play voices of the Bowie Bay Sox to present the award for best season by a prospect. The four nominees are Adley Rutschman and Kyle Stowers, who were named the Orioles Minor League Co-Players of the Year. 
Grayson Rodriguez, who was named the Orioles Minor League Pitcher of the Year, and Drew Rahm, who led the Orioles organization with 11 wins on the season. And the winner is Kyle Stowers. Congratulations to Kyle, who had a breakout 2021 season, had 27 home runs, played between three different levels, spent the majority of his season with AA Bowie, but started with Aberdeen, then went to Bowie, then was promoted to AAA Norfolk, and he didn't miss a step along the way, improved defensively as an outfielder, and he is primed to make a big move up the ladder through this organization and potentially to the major league level soon. Again, huge congratulations to Kyle on a breakout season and excited to see what he brings to this team in the near future. If we were handing out an award for best personality in minor league baseball, Paul Fritchner would win in a, in a, in a, in a landslide. Yeah. What a guy. What a guy, Paul Fritschner. I think best prospect might have been a, a little bit misleading in terms of the title of it. Adley Rutschman is the best prospect in baseball and, and had a fantastic season. Adley Rutschman had lofty expectations and met those expectations. Kyle Stowers did not have those same expectations this year and far exceeded what we thought the second yeah. round pick out of Stanford would do. A fantastic year for him goes to three different levels in the minor leagues, well-deserving of best prospect this year. I probably should have called it best year for a prospect, but I'm not going to go back. No. I'm not going to Choices have been made. This. They've been made, and I'm sticking to them. It's been a long year, Brenton. I've aged much like a president at the end of his second term. I mean, I am just exhausted here. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you are watching, I apologize for the massive bags under my eyes and just general exhaustion over my face. Well, anywho, Kyle uh, Stowers with a fantastic year. All right, next up. Guys who were formerly prospects and are now rookies. They've completed their rookie seasons for the Baltimore Orioles. We have four candidates for this award. First up is Ryan Mountcastle. 33 homers led his team in homers. First time that's happened by an Orioles rookie, I think, since 1965. That's a long time ago. Yeah, since Kurt Bleffery. Uh, he had a 796 OPS. Then you've got Ramon Rios. Mentioned his stats before. This was his rookie season. A little bit older than some of the other guys on this list. 27 years old, but that was also the age of Bruce Zimmerman. We're at a 5370 ERA this year. Did miss a large chunk of the season, but his performance was noteworthy, certainly. And then Tyler Wells. Already discussed what he brought to the Orioles as a Rule 5 pick. Let's throw to Kevin Brown for a very, very long award presentation here. Thanks, Paul. I'm here to announce the nominees for best rookie for the 2021 Orioles. I'm here to do it from the place where I will be spending most of my offseason, the kitchen. Let's see what's in here. Log cabin maple syrup from, let's see, 2018. Never gets old. All right, serious business now. This year's nominees for the Orioles' best rookie are Ryan Mountcastle. Insert footage of Ryan, like, hitting a tremendous home run. First Orioles rookie ever to 30. Ramon Urias. This is where you insert footage of Urias. Big walk-off hit. Then a walk-off fielder's choice. Only Oriole with two walk-off plays this year. Another nominee, Tyler Wells. Rule 5 pick closer. You're going to want to insert some footage here of that game face. Staring down that moxie. Tyler Wells. 
of the 97 first career save in the Bronx. And one more nominee, Bruce Zimmerman. And this is where you're going to want to insert the audio of Baltimore's own Ellicott City, the local kid, the lefty, getting his first big league win. Bruce Zimmerman, the Loyola Blakefield product and uh, former Towson pitcher, gets his first major league win, his family on hand. So, once again, the nominees, Ryan Malcastle, Ramon Urias, Tyler Wells, and Bruce Zimmerman. And the winner is... Ryan Mountcastle, your best rookie for the 2021 Orioles. Congratulations to Ryan. You get yourself some three-year-old maple syrup. Not a sponsor. Paul, back to you. The production value on that piece by Kevin Brown. Unbelievable. I'm worried about his pancakes. <laughs> I am, too. He has three-year-old... Syrup. But he, I, he said he didn't go bad, so. He said never goes bad, but I, I think he's wrong there. They put an expiration date on, on the bottle for a reason. You don't need to pay attention to those. It's like instruction manuals when you buy something. You don't need to pay attention to the instruction manual. Boy, what a fascinating life Kevin Brown lives. <laughs> also, we had, a, uh, we had a comment on YouTube that said this was essentially the mass in Dundies, which A, is fantastic, and we strive for that bar. And B, I think if there is any presenter that is living up to the Mass in Dundee's title, it would be Kevin Brown. Yeah, I think that's an accurate description. Yeah. All right, next up, best play of the 2021 season. This one was tough to narrow down. A lot of, I, I tried to pick, uh, you know, a couple ones that were not just great plays because of the talent level it takes to make a play, but also the context. So first up, it's Trey Mancini's first home run at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. Had to put that on there because of what he's gone through to come back. Uh, second up, Ryan Mountcastle uh, hitting the record-breaking home run, his 29th of the season back on September 16th. First Orioles rookie ever to reach that mark. Pretty incredible. Uh, third up, Cedric Mullins hitting his 30th home run, another record-breaking home run because that was when he solidified the 30-30 and 30 season, the first 30-30 season in Baltimore Orioles history, that was back on September 24th. And you had to put Cedric Mullins on this list more than once, Brendan. Do you want to read our finalist, last finalist here? Yeah, the final finalist for best play, the Cedric Mullins leaping catch at the wall against the New York Yankees. He does 30-30. He hits the home runs. He steals the bases. But my goodness, does Cedric Mullins play a fantastic center field. Yeah, and if you're watching this uh, live or going back through YouTube and Facebook, you're getting a glimpse of that unbelievable catch. I mean, that was truly one of the best catches I've ever seen at Camden Yards. I've ever seen really in a baseball game. Like, ridiculous to see the kind of extension that he got on that ball. Yeah, and it's not like he was waiting at the wall for a while either. I mean, he was pretty much full sprint, had to get there first, yeah. and then makes the play. So that play, I think, might be the most, have taken the most talent yes. of these four. Uh, but you also have to consider sentimental reasons and context when you include these. Yeah, it might have been the most impressive, but not the most monumental. Well, let's hear from the presentation presenter. I'm so <laughs> tired. Of uh, the award, and that is broadcaster Jeff Arnold. 
Hey everybody, really excited to bring you the Masson All Access Play of the Year. Should probably come as no surprise. It is the 30th home run by Cedric Mullins, giving him the first 30-30 season in Orioles history. With all the great Orioles players that are out there, it had never been accomplished before. And Cedric's home run against the Texas Rangers on that Friday night, a moment that none of us will forget in the 2021 season. So Cedric Mullins, first ever player to a 30-30 season, and his 30th home run is the Mass and All Access Play of the Year. So like we said, you have to consider context and giving this award to Cedric Mullins for the 30th home run is not just for the home run itself, but also to recognize the kind of season that he had. Yes, a momentous play for best play. Well-deserving for Cedric Mullins. He already has the award for most surprising season. Now he's got the award for best play. I mean, did all of our nominees, finalists, not get our invitation that we sent in the mail? I, I mean, know. where are they? I, I think they were a little behind on their tux orders. We have a group of seat fillers behind us. Not a single not a single person that actually won. They're all just lookalikes. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. All right. Finally. No, not finally. Second to last. <laughs> no, third, eighth last all right i'm going home and i'm sleeping after this for yeah. like 10 years best game now this award had uh, some good candidates and it was honestly over the course of 162 game season it's tough to determine the best games in there because you get some great performances and you end up forgetting about them as the season goes along there were some obvious candidates that we'll get to but first uh let's start with John Means, setting the tone for the season on opening day up at Fenway Park on April 2nd. Uh, seven shutout innings for John Means that day. Orioles win three to nothing. And John Means just, you, you're getting a glimpse of the kind of season that he's had. Yeah, that was the first game you looked at John Means and you were like, whoa. Yeah. And then there was, uh, there was one other John Means game that was pretty good, and that would be the no-hitter where he struck out 12 Mariners. I mean, th- what a fantastic performance from John Means. He had had a great year leading up to that and obviously a no-hitter. Unbelievable. First one by a singular Oriole since uh, Jim Palmer. So (laughs) going back a ways, an incredible performance and not just a no-hitter, a 12-strikeout no-hitter. Arguably the best no-hitter in Orioles history. Another great game happened on August 25th. If you recall, this was the the game where the Orioles snapped their second long losing streak of the season. Cedric Mullen starts off the game by going deep off Shohei Otani, and the Orioles fall behind in the middle innings, but they have one run in the seventh and five runs in the eighth to come back and beat the Angels. It was an exciting night at Camden Yards. Mullins delivered another key hit. Austin Hayes delivered a key hit in that game, a double down the left field line. An exciting game there. And finally, this was a crazy one. The Orioles beating the Kansas City Royals at home on September 8th. As Kevin Brown described it, it was a monsoon in the eighth inning. They score nine runs in the eighth inning. Ryan Mountcastle with the decisive blow, a two-run homer, to make it 9-5 to five as they beat the Royals in an utterly ridiculous finish. Yeah, despite the record for the season, still some really fun games this yeah. year. So let's throw it to Brett Hollander, who is going to announce the winner of the Best Game Award. Hello, everyone. I'm Brett Hollander, and I'm here to announce the Orioles' Game of the Year. And although it was a tough season at times, there are many great options to receive this 
very prestigious award, an annual award for Game of the Year. And the winner is, we'll go back to May the 5th, when John Means threw a no-hitter against the Seattle Mariners in Seattle, Washington. And he didn't just throw a no-hitter, it was a most dominant performance, and he left no doubt on that day. May 5, 2021, John Means, his no-hitter, your baseball Orioles game of the year in 2021. As exciting as those other games were, this one was a no-brainer. Yeah, an absolutely shocking selection there for best game of the year is John Means no-hitter. Like you said, first no-hitter uh, by a singular Oriole since Jim Palmer. That'll do. John Means will show up again later. He is a finalist for other awards, Brendan. Mm. Best reliever. This one was tough to pick finalists for because you had some relievers who had great first halves, not so great second halves. You look at Paul Fry. He was one of the best relievers, maybe the best reliever on this team for the first half of the season. One of the best relievers, left-handed relievers in baseball. And then the kind of second half that he had put him out of uh, consideration for this award. Finished with an ERA over six, which is difficult to swallow for a guy that really was great for the first half. Yeah, and Tanner Scott... Another one who actually is a finalist, but you can put under that same category, had a little bit better of a second half than Paul Fry. It still wasn't great, but he was fantastic in the first half of the season. And it's easy to just look at the recent games and say that Tanner Scott wasn't very good, but he was still lights out at the beginning of the year. So our finalists are Tanner Scott, who tied for the team lead with 62 appearances. He had a 5.17 ERA, struck out uh, almost 12 per nine. Dylan Tate, who also had 62 appearances and had a 4.39 ERA. Strikeout numbers were not nearly as gaudy as some of his counterparts. About six strikeouts per nine, but the ERA is lower. Cole Solcer, 60 appearances, 2.70 ERA. Justifiably nominated for best surprise season because, like I said, start to finish, he had a great year. Didn't have any the highs that Paul Fry had, but didn't have the lows that he did either. So have to put him ahead of them, uh, uh, Paul Fry. And then Tyler Wells, who, again, surprise season, 4-11 ERA. So for the uh, winner of this, we go to our very own MassInSports.com's Steve Molesky. So, guys, for the top reliever for the Orioles in 2021, I kind of thought I would end up with Tyler Wells at the top of my list. But then, looking at all the stats... Cole Sulcer had the best year of any order reliever in 2021. 270 ERA, that's the best. 169 ERA plus. He was further in relief average than any Oriole who pitched this year by far. Homer rate, great, 0.7. K rate, solid, 10.4. All these peripheral stats, strikeout percentage, chase rate, expected slugging. He scored very high. Whiff rate on the changeup really good. And a big difference from last year to this, right-handed hitters cleaned up against Cole Salser in 2020. OPS about 950. This year that was about 640. He made a dramatic improvement against right-handed hitters. We already knew he could get out left. Cole Salser, my opinion, is the Oral Reliever of the Year for 2021. Thank you, Steve. Cole Sulcer really wasn't a storyline on this team until late in the season when people started to take notice of what he was doing. And he ended up having a very good year. And relievers are year to year. And we saw 
a very difficult year for Cole Sulcer in 2020. First year with the Orioles and just had 19 games and was anointed the closer to start the year. Struggled. Heck of a bounce back year for Cole Sulcer in lower leverage roles this year. Yeah, I mean, just don't have him close games. And it was a consistently pretty good year for Cole Sulcer. Yep, finished, though, with eight saves in this season. That tied for the team lead with Cesar Valdez, surprisingly. Yeah. So maybe we'll, we'll see how his role evolves next year. He will definitely return to this bullpen. Tyler Wells will definitely return to the bullpen. So two guys, at least, that you can look at for next year and say they appear to be fixtures. Yeah, I mean, you can put Cole Sulcer somewhere in the 7th, 8th, ninth innings. He's not an innings eater, but you probably don't want him as your closer. So somewhere 6th, 7th, 8th inning is probably where Cole Sulcer fits best next year, but it was a very good year. All right, best reliever has just been announced. Now we turn our attention to best starter. And you might already have in your mind a winner here, but let's read the the finalists nonetheless. We start with John Means, 6-9 and nine record, a 3-6-2 ERA. Obviously has a no-hitter in there as well. Jorge Lopez, his, his record as a starter went 3-14 and 14 with a 6-3-5 ERA, and the, as you recall, was turned into a reliever later in the season and unfortunately suffered an injury that prematurely ended his season. Matt Harvey, a 6-14 and 14 record with a 6-2-7 ERA, led the staff in starts, was the most durable of their starters. And then Bruce Zimmerman, only 13 starts, but a 5-3-7 ERA for him. Uh, so we are out of presenters. Brenda. We are. We have exhausted our deep arsenal of talent for uh, the Orioles broadcasters. So let's let's start announcing these ourselves. Well, before we announce the winner, I would just like to say Bruce Zimmerman's 537 ERA. I think he performed better than a 537 ERA. He just didn't have a ton of starts and got hit with a few really bad ones. Like his last start against the Red Sox really hurts his ERA. So, you know, not not really going to look at that too. Uh, excuse me, against the Blue Jays. The final yeah, start yeah. of the year against the Blue Jays. Matt Harvey, his 627 ERA not particularly good, but the Orioles did not play great defense behind him. He had a 459 fielder independent pitching ERA, so 459 is is pretty good yeah, for you, Matt Harvey, and he ate a lot of innings for you. Uh, FIP, as it's known, is, you know, for those who don't know, it's it's taking away ballpark factors right. and defense behind you, so it's just looking, trying to look at the pitcher performance and Jorge Lopez was not fantastic as a starter but it seems like Brandon Hyde and a lot of members of the organization feel that Jorge Lopez has good enough stuff to be a pretty good reliever so Jorge Lopez before he got injured was good in that role he might have found a role here with the Orioles to stick with them a little bit in the bullpen I have the winner here the award for best starter goes to John Means pretty obvious shocking all right what a year he had Let's get to our final award of the day. What an evening it has been. Best player. Now this one, again, you may be ahead of us, but but let us, please, Just read the finalists first. Let us first. do the formalities. Let us do the, the bit. Come on. Spend <laughs> a lot of time on this. We need um, to commit to the bit. All right. First up, all of these guys have M's for last names. So I think by default, you should add me to the list. Should be in there somewhere. Consider that, Brendan. Well, you can add me too. My last name starts with an M. Yeah, but that felt <laughs> felt like you were excluding me. 
I was. That's Cedric mean. Mullins, 291 average, 30 homers, 30 stolen bases, 59 RB, uh, RBIs, which is incredible considering he hit leadoff uh, with the kind of bottom half of the lineup that he often had. Um, and a 878 OPS, 5.7 baseball reference war. Trey Mancini, 255 average, 21 homers, 0.8 baseball reference war. John Means, 362 ERA, as we mentioned, 8.2 Ks per nine. Best pitcher, should he win best player? And finally, Ryan Mountcastle. Same exact average, strangely enough, as Trey Mancini. 255, 33 homers, that led the team. 89 RBIs, that also led the team in a 796 OPS. And once again, there is an obvious winner here, but let's just give some praise to the other three guys on this list. Ryan Mountcastle, a rookie of the year type of season, probably won't win rookie of the year, but still fantastic from the Orioles' perspective. Led all rookies and homers. Led all rookies and homers developed exactly as you were hoping Ryan Mountcastle would this year. John Means takes a big step forward and seems to have cemented himself as... At, at the top of the Orioles pitching rotation for next year and maybe years to come, we'll see. And Trey Mancini, he plays in a lot of games this year, a lot more than most people expected, and puts up good numbers. Maybe not the numbers that Trey Mancini would would hold himself to in terms of his own expectations, but I was blown away by what we saw from Trey Mancini this year. He delivered some of the best moments or the Orioles this year. I mean, you think about the home run derby, his first game at Camden Yards. So when we're looking at best player, we're going to go by the stats. But Trey Mancini, what a fantastic season out of him. And just off the list, I would say Austin Hayes. Finished the season very well. Stays healthy. Stays healthy for the majority of the season. Plays excellent defense, whether he was in center, filling in for Cedric Mullins, or in left or right. Brandon Hyde felt comfortable putting him anywhere. He did not receive a nomination tonight, but that is not indicative of the kind of season that Austin Hayes had. The winner of best player, Cedric Mullins. Good night, everybody. Uh, no, thank you for uh, for tuning in for the award presentations. The last one was pretty obvious. Cedric Mullins, what a season he had. Obviously, uh, the last week of the season was his only drought. Real rough stretch of the season. His only slump. Uh other than that, he was the best hitter in the lineup for almost the entire season, and he was played a ca- gold-glove caliber defense in center field. Yeah, as you said, an MVP, MVP caliber season out of Cedric Mullins. He goes 30-30, one of the best players in the American League, period. Yeah. One of the best center fielders in baseball, and like I said before, goes from maybe a solid fourth outfielder who is a good defensive replacement to a franchise centerpiece. All right, those are the 2021 Orioles Awards. We're not quite done our show, Brendan. We should let the good people know what our off-season plan is. One, it's to sleep. Two, it's to sleep more and get binge shows. Um, We are going to be doing weekly podcasts. We may miss a week or two here or there depending on holidays, depending on getting us in the same city. Yeah, there's like Christmas and stuff. There's Christmas and stuff. Uh, But we will be doing weekly podcasts. We will try to go live as much as we can if there's breaking news as it pertains to the Orioles. And then you look ahead to the offseason in general, some key dates that I do want to throw out there just so you, you know, throw them on your calendar. Uh, The 
date that the Orioles have to add players to their 40-man rosters in order to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, that's November 19th. That's going to be, for a lot of teams, not that important of, of a date. But for the Orioles, it's a very important date. A lot of interesting players, and we'll preview that in a few weeks to see who they will add and who they won't. Uh, free agency, of course, starts right after, at the very beginning of November, right after the World Series ends. I don't expect much movement early on in free agency, especially when it comes to the Orioles, because December 1st is the other big date that is looming over this offseason. That's the date that the new, that the old collective bargaining agreement expires. And if they can't reach an agreement on a new one, could reach a potential work stoppage. We don't know how long it'll last. We don't know if we'll even get one, but that will certainly impact the offseason. And then we have the winter meetings for right now scheduled for December 5th through 9th with the Rule 5 draft coming on the last day of those winter meetings on December 9th. Again, if there is a work stoppage, I'm guessing that would be pushed back. Nobody really knows. We will be on our toes, and we will keep you updated throughout the entire offseason as uh, we we get news. Stay tuned to MassInSports.com, of course. Rockavaco and Steve Molesky will have you covered throughout the entire offseason. Uh, so we aren't going anywhere. No. Don't worry. Uh, we are sticking around. Uh, so thank you so much, to everybody who tuned in to our podcast, to our shows, uh, you know, met a lot of fans. It was great to be back in ballparks, going to minor league games, running into fans, meeting people, just awesome. Uh, and looking forward to many years of that to come because we will never take for granted again what we um, experienced this year being back in the ballpark amongst fans and watching games live and in person. Yeah, that- being back this year after what we all, all went through in 2020, but especially with the baseball season, it's fantastic to have had some normalcy for a 2021 season, and it's going to be an exciting offseason for the Orioles. Yeah. A lot of big stuff coming up, potentially the number one overall pick, hopefully some more offseason signings and free agency. We know Mike Elias will probably see some offseason trades, so... Follow along. We'll have a lot of stuff to go over. We have some exciting segments, too. Another draft, like we did the all Camden Yards draft. We have another draft planned. Not mm-hmm. sure when it's going to come, but it, it will. And then we have uh, some other free agency games that we're going to play that I'm already concocting. So please stay tuned to the Mass and All Access podcast, which you can find on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can get the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing uh, a show that was jam-packed with fun guests. Thank, thank you to all of our presenters today. I really wanted this to be, you know, ask them to do one last favor for us because we asked them to do a million favors for us this year and every year, but also as a thank you to them because um, getting through a 162-game season, especially after the season that we had in 2020, uh, it took a huge, huge effort and... Uh, I know I'm not the only one who is grateful to have this incredibly deep roster of talent that we had on the Orioles broadcasting. Yeah, if you weren't familiar with any of our presenters, go give them a follow on Twitter. Follow along with them. Some really bright Orioles minds. Really talented. You know, just a great group of people as well. Not just um, their talent level, but awesome to work with every single person. Yes. Um, couldn't be more grateful for the kind of family that we have that, that got us through the season. All right. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back in a week. He's at Brendan Morty on Twitter. Brendan Mortensen. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. We'll see you next time.